What up, party people? It's your boy Tommy G here with episode 63 of the No Mercy Podcast. Special edition, Burt Watson edition. Follow him on Twitter, at Burt Watson for real. This man has been involved in the fight game longer than anyone you know, has more experiences than anyone you know. He was smoking Joe Frazier's manager. He was touring with Muhammad Ali. He was a 15-year event coordinator through all the events for the UFC, has stories with McGregor, John Jones, Dana White, is now throwing a huge event down in Florida, which my company, EliteFantasy.com, is going to be the title sponsor for. We're working hand-in-hand with Burt and Burt Watson Promotions. It's going to be a banging event, June 15th, Hard Rock Hotel, Father's Day weekend. We have a landing page, which you can get all the information, check out the fighters, check out the promo videos. I'm going to be down there. Mad Lab's going to be down there. Constantino will be down there. Bert's going to be down there. Celebrity guests, if you guys want a chance to come down there, get some free tickets or get promo codes to some of the stuff we're doing, swag, everything in between, go to EliteFantasy.com forward slash MMA Live. Mixed Martial Arts Live. MMA Live. So EliteFantasy.com slash MMA Live. You can hit up my Twitter at Tommy G. I'll be posting details about the event or at Burt Watson, number four real on Twitter for more details about the event. But this podcast was very fun. We basically just just grazed the tip of the iceberg on a lot of these Burt Watson stories. So we're going to have a part two, maybe even a part three coming up before the fight. But I think you guys are going to enjoy this. Burt walks us through his whole history, how he got started, how he met Joe Frazier, how he got into the UFC, and then went heavy into uh, what's going on with these events and and some cool takes and stories on where he thinks the fight game is heading. So uh, I'm done talking here. Let's get to the show. Without further ado, hit it, Miyagi. Mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. What up? Weird. Boy, Tommy G here with episode 63 of the No Mercy podcast. Tommy G! Feels like 163, Bert. I I got the man Bert Watson with me here. The reason we're laughing is because you guys have no idea how long it took us to get this thing alive. But Bert, how you doing, bro? Man, I'm trying to make it, baby. Let me tell you something. (laughs) One thing I learned in my career. I'm an OG, mm-hmm. and for more for more reasons than one, mainly because of my age and being around a long time, but I learned a long time ago that you do things the same way all the time. Right. You do things the same way, you get the same results. The minute you start getting a little out of your lane and start getting into this new age technology, <laughs> yeah, man. You know, oh, let me tell let me tell him what happened here, Bert. <laughs> so, so we're going to talk about Bert. We're going to talk about Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, the UFC, the MMA live event that we're both a part of coming up in June. We're going to talk about all that shit. But before we start, I got to fill them in a little bit. I want the fuck we just went okay. through. Okay. So, so Bert is a legend in the game. Like he just said, he's old school. He he does he has his routine. He does his routine. First thing he said when we talk is Tommy, I'm gonna do the podcast, but I'm not great with technology, so you gotta walk me through it. So my dumbass decides to <laughs> on Zoom 
which is a, a device that Bert's not familiar with. On a computer, Bert's not familiar with. I ordered him a fucking microphone, which he's not familiar with. Bert, what happened when you plugged the Snowball microphone into the computer an hour ago when we tried to start recording? It snowballed my damn computer and <laughs> knocked it out. And this thing, this thing looks like RD, RDD2 you know, from Star Wars, and, and it's something I've never seen before. So I'm looking at it real strange. And the minute I plugged it in and turned the power on, bam! The whole computer shut down. Whole computer shut down. So and I hear you know, Bert. I'm like, I'm like, Bert, how's it going? He's like, oh shit, the whole computer just blew up. <laughs> and what'd you what'd you do with the microphone after that, Bert? Well, I owe you I owe you your money back and whatever you paid Amazon. Because I got up and threw that shit out the window. <laughs> I gotta throw I, this out the window. I'm I don't, afraid I didn't to even, shut my TV look, off. Look, I didn't even want this thing in my house near my TV. Because <laughs> something messes up my TV and I can't watch my gun smoke. I'm done. Oh God. I am done. I am done. And that little thing. With that one red eye looking at me, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and it just bam, just knocked my computer out, and I just got that thing. <laughs> Literally thirty minutes ago, or an hour ago. What the heck did this man send me? You know, and I'm gonna tell you, this computer is almost as old as I am. So <laughs> I stuck something new in my damn old computer, and you know what? It wasn't having it. I thought the scariest part was after we got everything live. And I told you, Bert, Bert, now plug your headphones in. You shit your pants. Man, I'm like, uh, I'm not plugging nothing in nowhere. Okay? <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. We have been trying for this thing for about an hour and 10 minutes. Uh huh. You know, but you know what? We had a, we, we had a show to do and, 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 Tommy G, with his diligence, you know, had to push his schedule back. And I'm looking at this. I'm saying, you know what, man? This is the longest interview I've ever done in my life that I didn't do. And we didn't even start it yet. <laughs> so so that was uh, so that's how this all started. So you can expect Woo! a lot of chaos on here. Hopefully, Bert, let me get a wee rolling. Oh, man, come on. I just went come to work. On. And you know what? Even though, even though that little damn microphone took it out of me, it didn't take that much out of me, baby. Because when it's time to go to work, you know what that means. We rolling! Yeah! <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm ready to fight right now, Bert. That, that, every time you yell that, I'm ready to fight. If you ain't, you need to go home. That's right. So, so let's talk a little bit about, for those people that don't know, because we got a lot of millennials who listen to this podcast, right? So you got these, these dumb fuck 25-year-olds. You know, well, I make fun. I'm scared to death. Oh yeah, they 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 work these computers like the like a Rubik's cube, right? So so a lot of these guys that are listening may not be as familiar with you as someone my age who's forty, or a lot of the people that you have listening to this podcast who know that you're the goat, you're the legend, you've been around in this game forever. So give us give us a little idea of kind of where you came from. I, I know it, but tell them how you know a little bit of time with the UFC, fifteen years there. But start with Joe Frazier, start back in the day, how you got into the fight game and became who you are. Well, you know, initially coming from Philadelphia uh, uh, and always being interested in the fight game, you know, I, I grew up in Philadelphia, went to school in Philadelphia, went away to college in Scotts Bluff, Nebraska, back in the day. Mm-hmm. Got out of got out of college and went in the Marine Corps. Spent some time, spent three years in the Marine Corps. Got out of the Marine Corps and moved to New York with my family. And believe it or not, man, I mean, by a chance meeting 
I'm in New York in downtown Manhattan. One day headed to the office where I work. Uh, at the time, I was actually in the garment district. Mm-hmm. I, worked in, I worked in fashion. And I was walking from, from at the time, which was the 42nd Street bus station, to my office. And there was an accident. In the middle, in the in the middle of Forty Second Street, there was an accident, and a car pulled over, and all the cars pulled over, and this one car pulled over, and everybody's standing because when there was an accident, the traffic didn't move. Right. So I'm standing there looking at the accident, and everybody else, and the traffic stopped, and this black car stopped and pulled up, and this guy gets out of the car to see what's going on with this accident and with the traffic and why the traffic stopped, and this guy was Joe Frazier. Uh-huh. And I looked over at him because immediately I recognized that profile. I recognized that guy. Right. And, you know, it was a one-shot deal. Here was smoking Joe Frazier in front of me. And the first thing I did, I spoke to him. Spoke to him. He spoke back, asked me if I knew what was going on. And I said, no, I'm just walking and I stopped like everybody else to see what was going on. And it wasn't wasn't a bad accident. It was just in Manhattan and stopped all the traffic. Everything's a bad accident in Manhattan because yeah. it's so congested to begin with. Yeah, yeah. But no no fatalities or anything like that. So we're talking and just kind of kibitzing a little bit, if you know what that word is. Nope. So, <laughs> <laughs> I can figure it out. Context clues, though. I'm with you. So we're, we're just kind of throwing it back and forth and talking and you know, I was excited the fact that I was standing there talking to smoking Joe Frazier. Right. Uh, and, you know, the first thing I said, hey, man, I'm from Philadelphia. You know, I'm, I'm a local guy. You know, uh, you know, you're from Philly. I'm from Philly. Yada, yada, yada. You talk. So we kind of struck up not really a friendship, but an acquaintance. And his thing was, listen, man, if you're ever again back in Philly or you're here, you know, here's where the gym is. Yada, yada, yada. yada. We're talking. So. We ex- exchanged numbers, mm-hmm. but at the time, there was no such thing as cell phones. Right. There was no, you know, social media or nothing. So I, I don't even remember how we kept in touch. But I do know that back in the day, if you told somebody, I'll see you next Tuesday at 10 o'clock. Next Tuesday at 10 o'clock, you were there. It was a different world, right? With no communications in between, no yep. follow-up phone call, no text message or nothing. Mm-hmm. You didn't even send a pigeon over to somebody's window, okay? Because you missed it. <laughs> you know, so we kept in touch back and forth, and uh, you know that led to a friendship where we just started communicating. And you know, he was Joe Frazier, smoking Joe Frazier, and I was Burt Watson, coming out of the Marine Corps, working in Manhattan. And when we started to kind of build that friendship a little bit, you know, quite honestly, here was, I, I was, one thing about Joe was that Joe Frazier was probably one of the most unreal guys, one of the most down-to-earth, realistic people you'll ever want to meet. Right. Now, you hear people say that all the time, but I'm going to tell you something, baby. In reality, that was Joe Frazier, plain and simple. The simpler for him, the better. The so he had a lot of he had a lot of Burt Watson in him. Oh man, you know, <laughs> you know and, and 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 as I as I went along later on with Joe and worked with him and got you know got a little further down, one of the things that everybody around him used to say was that Joe had a Fra- Joe Frazier had a 
a habit of picking up strays. Uh huh. I was one of them strays he picked up. Damn. And we just started talking. We kept in touch and stayed in touch. And, you know, quite honestly, at the time, the people around him really didn't know me, know who I was or where I came from. All they know that I had a communication with Joe and he had a communication with me. And they really didn't, you know, they they didn't want me around. Right. Because they didn't know who I was or what my intentions were. But you know what? We stuck in there. We hung it out. Uh, first fight I ever went to, attended, was March 8th, 1971, when he fought Muhammad Ali. Madison wow. Now, that was, at the time, you know, they had house parties and, and people had, people communicated on a, on a, on a neighborhood level. Right. Where, where if a guy had a big event going on, Five or six different people in the neighborhood or in the area had house parties, and everybody went around from one house party to another. And that's what they were having for this thing with Joe Frazier after the fight. And, uh, you know, we communicated. And after the fight, you know, he went back to Philly. We kept in touch and kept communicating. And I stayed close and stayed with him, and we stayed friends, and just moving the story along a little bit. It eventually turned into from a friendship to a situation where he started to trust and entrust me a little more with right. him and who he was and being around him and traveling with him a little more. You know, the more he pulled me in, the less just people around him liked me being around. Well, you were, you that had to see you as a little bit of a threat, right? Just because. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that's exactly what it was. Uh, but you know what? At the time, I wasn't even thinking that. Right? Yeah, you're just yeah, you're just probably just picking shit just to be hanging out with Joe Frazier and be where he's going. Never in my wildest dreams would I have thought that that was going to end up me being Joe Frazier's manager, right? Or me so, being the person that he put in place to handle his business or his business aspects of it. So was that just because you got so close with him? And he knew he could trust you that he basically said, Hey, be my manager. Like, how did that conversation come well, up? Well, it, 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 we started hanging out and we started, started going out. When Joe came to New York, uh, I was still working in, in, in Manhattan. When he came to New York, I knew he was there. We would visit, we would go hang out, we would drink a little bit. I was never a heavy drinker. Right. Never really a heavy drinker. I'm a very heavy drinker, Bert. When Joe <laughs> went out, Joe had a thing that he called a man or a mouse, where when he went out to drink, if you were sitting at a table with Joe and you were drinking vodka and this guy was drinking Grand Marnier and this guy was drinking Hennessy and this guy over here was drinking vodka, all sitting at one table, Joe would take another glass and pour a little bit of each one in a glass, in one glass, shake it around and drink it. (laughs) Now, you were a man or a mouse. Now it's your turn. And he would put that glass in front of me, and I drank it the first time I did, man. I got sick of it. Oh, I'm sure, man. You had to be throwing up all over the but place. But you know what? I wasn't showing it. Right. I wasn't going to show it. He wasn't going to know it. And that transition went on from, from New York to hanging out with him in Philadelphia. And eventually, I moved back to Philadelphia. Uh, and, again, it was just 
because my family was there and I was from Philly, I was familiar with Philly. And we, Joe and I started hanging out again. We started, and this was, I'll say early 80s, you know, early, early 80s. And just about after the time when he fought Jumbo Cummings, which was his last fight, mm-hmm. uh, and going into his retirement. And it got to a point where we would go out and he wasn't really, really, you know, heavy into training. Because at the time, when, it, when, when he was heavy into fighting, he wasn't close to retirement. There was nobody in any better shape than smoking Joe Slater. There was nobody with any better cardio than Joe Slater. And it was all natural because he made the commitment to train, keep himself in shape. Mm-hmm. But when we started going out and hanging out, he started throwing this man or mouse on me. And I started showing off and drinking it. It got to a point one day where I said to him, you know what? You got to do one or two things. You either got to stop this or you got to leave me the hell alone. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't, I can't handle it. And I said, you know what? I'll tell you something. You got to either give me a job or leave me the hell alone. <laughs> you're gonna, if you're going to kill me, you better make it financially worth it. <laughs> you know what he did? He said, come on in. That's awesome. Just like that. And that's exactly how that started. That's I crazy. Said, you're going to either have to give me a job or leave me the hell alone. So when he started getting these job offers and personal appearances and stuff like that, he would call me, tell me, hey, man, I got this. this. And, and at the time, he had people around him, but most celebrities, and, and, I'll, and I'll say, you know, today's world has changed a little bit. And these guys all have guys. These guys all have people to set up and create stuff for them. But the bottom, one thing that has not changed is that people set it up for them and present it to them, but they make the decisions and they get the final say. Right. Plain and simple. And that's the way Joe was. He always, he always got the final say. And the final say was, Bert, you're traveling with me. So I did that. We would go places. People would see him and they would come at him and try to get in. He would pull me up, put me in front of him and said, here, talk to him, talk to him, talk to him. And later on, I went from talking to him to talking to my man, talking to my man. Right. And that's how that whole transition started. That's crazy. Man, that's, that's, that's insane. That's, I mean, just, just that that started on a chance meeting on the street with an accident and turned into you being best friends with one of the greatest boxers of all time, let alone his business manager. I mean, that's insane. And one of the greatest persons that ever lived. Right. That's another, that's. In my opinion, he was pure. I mean, it, it, it was even, sometimes it was hilarious because, as I told you, Joe was plain old Joe. He was, a, he was the people's champion. You know, I mean, we would get invitations to go to wherever to make a personal appearance. And, you know, he would get paid for it. But when we didn't go out or didn't travel, Joe would pick. The, the worst dive in any neighborhood he was in, and that's where we were. Just one of the people. I mean, he's, he was a – he was we, a, we would walk into them places, and people would be sitting there kind of half-assed drunk already, sitting on the stool and look. And, I mean, you could see their eyes get big. And like, nah, that ain't Joe Frazier. Right. That is not Joe Frazier. Yeah, it was Joe Frazier, bro. 
totally different world, man. I wish it was still yeah, like that. Yeah, it was. And now, now he'd have camera phones on him everywhere he looked. He'd be on TMZ doing a shot. Uh, it would be a shit show nowadays. And that's how we that's how we lived, and that's how he became so close to to everybody, and he became so close to everybody. He was such a down to earth person that it almost became, you know, it, it 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 wasn't the biggest surprise for the average guy to meet Joe Frazier. Right, it almost got to a point where, like, my grandfather used to tell me stories, you know, when he used to work at Ebbets Field and stuff like that, and he used to you know, park Babe Ruth's car and see Mickey Mantle and all this stuff. And he would tell us stories and be like, you know, it was just like, hey, what's up, Mick? Hey, what's up, babe? And it was like they were part of the community. When you see them enough, they're just like a regular person who's a little more famous than you are, you know? That's exactly what it was. And it was, you know, for me, it was it was kind of, it was kind of a, a, a hilarious situation because, first of all, he gave me that job and put me in that position. And that's something I had never done in right. my life. He trusted you, yeah. And to do it for one of the biggest persons in sports and sports history, I didn't even know. You know, history has a way of making you a part of it without you even asking. Right. And that's what it did to me. It just threw me in there. And you know what? I got my foot to the fire. and I had to make it work. And, and and sometimes it's better like that, right? Just get thrown right into the fucking pool, you know. Learn how to swim on a job. Never, never once tried to tell me how to do it. He would always try to tell me what to do, uh-huh. but not how to do it. Right. As long as I did it, and I got paid for it, and he got his money, and we got that job again. Man, that's that as long as I did that, man. We we was rolling. We <laughs> I have a couple more. I want to turn back to, to Frazier and some of these stories because I know you you were hanging out with Ali. You set up like an international tour with these guys and stuff. So I want to get back to that. Before we get to that, I want to kind of get the history out. So we're going to dovetail back to somebody. Bert, Bert's got some stories, guys, that I've sat down and, you know, I, I'll, I'll go to do a, you know, a little shot of Jameson or have, pour myself a drink. And next thing you know, the bottle's gone and I'm 40 stories deep and don't even want to get off the phone. So. So we, we got more of those, which I want to get to. But I want to talk about your involvement with the UFC because I don't think a lot of people, everyone who knows the UFC well obviously knows Burt Watson, right? Like I think, what was it, Joe Rogan or who named you Babysitter to the Stars? Yes, he did. Right? So, so that's the part. That's where I first found out about you. And then in digging and talking to Mike and talking to some of my other friends, you know, then I realized, holy shit, that's the same Burt Watson from Joe Frazier and all. And it all tied together and came full circle. But – your involvement with the UFC, now we're, you're throwing a, an event, which we're going to talk about that in a minute too, June 15th at the Hard Rock Holly down in Florida, and that's going to be an MMA live event. So we'll get to that because I want to I fill in the blank between Joe Frazier all the way up to MMA live. But keep your eyes out. We're going to be promoting that. My company, Elite Fantasy, is going to be the title sponsor for it. Title sponsor, baby. I'm going to be down there with you partying. We're going to throw pre-parties, post-parties, get ring girls, do all the fun shit that's involved. I just, I just want to do the crazy stuff, Bert. I don't want to be involved with paperwork. I my just want- very, very, my very, very first event, and I am, I am, I am so excited and so stoked. The closer we get, you know, and 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 the more participation I get from you guys, you know, at, at Fancy Elite, and just you. Being on your podcast, I mean, 
all of this stuff coming together right now is showing me how real this thing really is, man. And it's it's exciting. I'm excited, and it's going to be one hell of a night, man. And, and even just the tie-ins, the fact that you've worked with Mike Constantino, and you've worked with him for years, and he's worked with my best friend, Mike Iarato, and I'm friends with Constantino, and then me and you tie in, and then we, I run a gambling slash fantasy. It just all works together perfectly, and this is going to make for a great event, and it's the first one of many. So we're going to be doing a lot of talking in a minute. And still being babies, babysitter to the stars, baby. Right. <laughs> and that's where it all started, right? Your MMA stuff started in the UFC, uh-huh. Dana White, you know, all these guys. So – so how the hell does that happen? How do you go from being Joe Frazier's manager to working in the UFC and then working your way up to the point where basically any fighter who fought on any night at some point came in contact with Burt Watson and you were the one taking him off the bus all the way into the ring. So really? give me a little background on how that started. Well, I, at, the, at, when, at the end of, of, you know, after Joe retired, and my job became to – create a situation for him to make money off of his name, which was not a hard thing to do because I had the name Smoking Joe Frazier. So creating situations for that was not a hard thing to do, and I did that. And, you know, at at that time, it was Joe Frazier, Muhammad Ali, George Foreman, Larry Holmes. Those were the guys in the heavyweight division that were making the money and were making the appearances, you know, going around and back and forth. And but at some point, it it shifted a little bit, and things started to get a little lean. So at that point, then Joe decided that he was going to start working with other promoters because he had a gym, he had affiliations, he had guys in the gym who were boxers. Joe had seven of his relatives, three of them his son, that were fighting. And he needed to keep them busy because he kept them in the gym. So he started working with different promoters like Butch Lewis, Seth mm-hmm. Kushner, yada, yada. And when we started doing that, that's when he put me in charge of that, coordinating for all of the fighters, coordinating, working with the promoters. And when these guys got a fight and they had to show up and they had to, they had to come and they were on a certain venue or an event, I had to create a situation for them that they were comfortable, they were happy, uh, the promoter was satisfied, and, you know, but as we went along and things started developing a little, I saw where these events happened and the least important p- person in that event was the fight. Seems like that, especially years ago, right? Man. And that, I mean, that 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 hit my gut before my heart, because these guys came in and they put their all out, got their asses whooped or won, whatever. But still, in terms of of priority and importance, even though they were exactly why everybody else was there, the fighter seemed to me, in my opinion, to be the least important. So that's when I started to get closer to fighters get closer to the things that they needed, get closer to the things that gave them a comfort level to perform at a higher level. You know, I wanted them to feel and know that they were not there just to get their ass whooped. Right. They were there for the love of the sport, and if they performed well, they got to come back. So I did that, and 
as I started working for Joe and his appearances became a little less, we started working more with promoters. At that time, it was all word of mouth. If a guy brought me on with my fighters and I had charge of them and he saw the job that I did, first person to call me back was Michael Spinks and Butch Lewis. They decided, you know what? Next fight we do, we want you to come and work that fight. That was the first group that I started with. Then Butch Lewis got a guy that came out of prison that Joe wasn't really going to work with or working with and decided to give him to Butch Lewis. That person was Bernard Hopkins. And I started coordinating and putting these fights together. And, and there was Bernard Hopkins and Michael Spinks and, and Leon Spinks. And I'm looking and I'm like, damn, I'm still in it, but right. at a high level. Yeah. So I started doing this. And one day, Butch Lewis and Don King did a fight together. But at the end of the fight, Don King. Came to me and said, listen, man, the next fight I do, I'm going to give you a call, Bert. I'm going to call you, Bert. I'm going to give you a call. <laughs> my man. My man. <laughs> and you know what? And he did. And that progressed. And it went on. And it went on. And from Butch Lewis to Don King, somehow I got connected with Benny Pazienza, mm-hmm. Lloyd Jones, Macho Camacho. Uh, the guy who had gotten Oscar De La Hoya, because Oscar De La Hoya's career, I think he must have changed promoters seven times before he settled in on one or, or was promoting himself. So I got to work with him, Arturo Gatti, and then this guy came to me, a uh, guy by the name of Mike Aker, and said, listen, man, I'm getting ready to do this fight, and I, I want to bring you on for you to work the fight. I got this girl, I'm going to do her pro debut. It was Layla Ali. Damn. Brought me in. And when you're ties to Frazier, was that awkward? Well, very. As there was some drama, as that's we all whole, know. That's a whole other one. Yeah, I would <laughs> imagine that. It couldn't have been but, seamless. But, but then he also knew that I was working. But at the time, his thing was, damn. But at the time when Layla came in and she started, over here to the left, there was Joe Frazier's daughter getting in the gym and starting her training. Right. With the intentions of eventually making that happen. Right, that big fight. So, yeah, so I went on and I did that and ended up with the Klitschko brothers, Roberto Duran, and, you know, uh, I did Roy Jones and Vinny Pazienza. And I, I also did the last fight with uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Camacho. And after that, then I started getting Tyson. Damn, that must have been crazy. Individually, yeah, yeah, it it was. But I was, I was good because number one, they brought me on for what I brought to the table. They brought me on for 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 what I gave to the fighters and the relationship I had with the fighters, and that was a good thing for me because that was a whole whole another thing aside from bringing you on just to sit down and do administrative operational stuff. Right, and. That went on and it worked. And the next thing I knew, I'm, I'm getting calls from different hotels. Uh, I got I, I got a relationship with Showtime and HBO. I, I gained a relationship with Lou DiBella, who at the time was the president of sports at HBO. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when they gave a fight and they gave a date to a promoter, they said, hey, we, we can't tell you who, but here's a guy who we know that we worked with and we know 
he was going to get the job done. So that led to that, and it went on, and it went on, and it, it just it just snowballed. How did it How did it run into the UFC? So I had a fight in I had a fight in Las Vegas, and mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly whether it was Arturo Gatti, De La Hoya, but it was De La Hoya and somebody. And during the course of the fight, the promoter that hired me came to me and he said, listen, there's a guy that I'm talking to that's starting this organization and he's putting some people together. He said, one of them might be me, I'm not sure, but I also know he's looking for good people. Mm -hmm. So I said, you know what, Uh, if you're talking about coordinating, as long as you pay me and respect me, you got me. Right. Plain and simple. So he said, well, listen, you know, the day after the weigh-in, I'll bring the guy over and we can have a talk. Well, after the weigh-in, we brought the guy over. We went out in the car. The guy was Dana White. Huh. Now, I didn't know Dana at the time. Well, not many people did at the time, right? No you're, talking, you're talking 17, 18, 20 years ago, right? Had no idea who he was. Had no idea what MMA was. Right. Had no idea what mixed martial arts was. Right. I knew Bruce Lee and Bruce Leroy, but, <laughs> you know, had no idea of what MMA was. Right. So Dana, myself, and this guy, we're talking, having a conversation. And Dana said, listen, uh, so I'm going to probably, and this was in October or November of 1999. Okay. Or so, and he said, "Listen, I'm going to do my next fight uh, probably in January, or February, and if you're available, I want you to do that." Fight. I said again, "Pay me respect, and you got me." Well, it happened, and again, and I'm sorry, it wasn't 1999. It was two, yeah, yeah, because it was 2000, and. He called me back in January and said, the first of January, right after, right after New Year's, and said, I got the fight in about a month and a half in Atlantic City. I said, I'm good. I am good to go. Yeah. So you basically, you basically set up that whole first fight? First fight was UFC 30. It was the first one that I, that I did. And it was in Atlantic City. And then from, gone? If you can imagine, and I'm, 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 I'm closing my eyes and I'm thinking to it. I remember standing in the lobby, in the lobby bar with Mark Coleman, Kevin Randleman, a rookie, Joe Baroni, and one other guy, I forgot who it was, but that was my introduction to MMA and the UFC. Uh-huh. And Kevin Randleman and Mark Coleman together was a pair. Mark Coleman, yeah, I just, I mean, that's, we were talking about that before that, before the show started, Mark Coleman. Yeah, that was, that was, but that was, that was my first. And after that show, you know, Dana, Dana got back to me and said, listen, I got a couple more scheduled and if you're available, you know, and, and unlike boxing, at the time, if there was a boxing event, you know, if you could be sitting at the airport, and, I, and it actually happened to me once. I'm sitting at the airport headed to an event, 
and I see one of the guys that was on the car and headed the other direction or going to the bathroom, and I asked him where he's going. He said, well, I'm going to the bathroom. I'm going home. And I'm asking, why the hell is he going home when he's in a fight? He said, didn't you hear the fight was canceled? No. And this was boxing. Right. No, I didn't hear it was canceled. You know, but the point I'm trying to make was I think the first year or so, the UFC had maybe five fights, four or five, I think, was what I remember. But never once did I get a schedule. Never once did was there a fight that Dana told me or at some point his people told me was happening that didn't happen. I think I think I don't think there was a cancellation of anything until maybe UFC sixty two or something. Really? John Jones. Right. But before that, not one cancellation, which to me was, you know, and then it started kind of grooving into my boxing, specifically the Klitschko brothers. Because then they would call me for a job, say, listen, we got to fight such and such coming up and, 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 and we'll get back to you. UFC called me. I know that was show money. Right. <laughs> that was show enough money. And I would have to say, listen, man, you know, I got a job and I got, and people in boxing were, were, were saying to me, I do not believe that you're taking that money against our money. And, and, and what is that? What is that stuff? Well, yeah, UFC must have been like the, 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 the stepchild of the industry, right? Like we're, we're boxing. What are you doing dealing with them? I was the craziest person in the world. Right. From Mike Tyson and Klitschko to MMA. Right. And, and, and at the time, it wasn't UFC. It was called Ultimate Fighting Championship. Right. And the logo was a, was a guy with big muscles on top of the world. Yep. I remember that. And, and, and it was the Trump. I think it was Trump Plaza in Atlantic City. That was the first show we did. But and, then, and then after that, so then you did, <clears throat> excuse me, you did that for what, 15 years you were with the UFC? So you were with everyone from John Jones to McGregor to Mark Coleman, you know, you, you name it, anyone over the last 15 years. You, 15, you met them and know them personally. In 15 years, I missed three fights and my three children got mad. <laughs> and that's it. But other than that, I was at every fight ever. So Setting them up, coordinating them, putting the whole event together. Ultimate Fighter, uh, uh, Spike TV. UFC, WEC, uh, Strike Force, all of them. When they started bringing all those guys in, and I think when they started bringing those WEC guys in, man, them guys was kicking ass. I think yeah. it was and Ben and mm-hmm. Donald Cerrone and, you know, and, but these that were kids. Of, they were all, new wave. They were all kids. You know, every one of them, every one of them. I, you know, and, I think when Dana started the UFC and he brought and he came over, because I knew he was in boxing at some point. Mm-hmm. When he came over, he had a relationship or was manager, I think now, for Cheeto and Chuck. I think he was already working with those guys. And so when he brought those guys over, and I'm talking about young guys, you know, Chuck with the Mohawk. You know, and I'm talking now, what, 22 years ago or better? So these guys were, these guys were all 
rookies, all kids, you know, Chuck, Randy, Tito, Matt Hughes. I remember with Matt, Matt Hughes, Pat Militich, Tim Sylvia. Uh, I think Jens Culver was a rookie with them. They, all of those guys were together in the same camp. And they were all rookies, man. All starry-eyed guys that were, uh, you know, they were happy to be in the UFC, but at the time, it wasn't as big as it got to be. And it just started rolling. It just started snowballing. That's crazy. And now that takes us, and we got more stories to talk about from the UFC, too. (laughs) But now it brings us to where we are now, right? So you were with the UFC for 15 years. We'll talk about some stories in a minute. but. Now you've basically gone from a dude who was on the street who coincidentally ran into Joe Frazier, who really wasn't doing anything with boxing or promoting or, or consulting or anything, to Joe Frazier's manager, to touring with Ali, to meeting Nelson Mandela, and we'll talk about that story, to then getting hooked up with the Klitschko's and Gotti and the UFC, 15 years in the UFC. You got Joe Rogan tweeting about you saying his kids were on his way out the door and he yelled, we rolling. I saw that that tweet from last. I miss, I miss you, Bert. Yeah, I miss you, Bert. Right. So, and then you left the UFC. We we'll talk about how you left the UFC. I, I don't know. I don't know all the full detail. Me and you have actually never even talked about that. So I'm curious to hear that too. But now, to get to where we are right now, fast forward, is you are actually starting your first MMA live event, wow. Bert Watson for real, Bert Watson Promotions. So MMA live, baby. Give me, give me a couple, give me a couple minutes on this. What's the deal with this? What's going on with this? I know this had to be something that, from ten, fifteen years ago, has been something you've always wanted to do, right? Like well, control your own event. You know, you know what, Tommy? And I said to you earlier in this in this podcast that history has a way of making you a part of it without you asking for it. Mm-hmm. It just happens, and. That's what happened with it. You know, it was never my intention to be a full-time promoter or or compete with anyone as a promoter on any level, but it was always my ambition to provide entertainment and, and trying to provide a platform for these guys to showcase their talent. Right. When I left the UFC, then I started working with regional promoters and I got to see on a regional level what these guys did to get to the UFC and what it meant to them to get to that level, to a UFC or a Bellator, you know, or a PFL or something to that level. How, how excited these guys were to get to that level and to get, you know, on that level and to be fighting at that level. And I, uh, last year, I did a show in Fort Lauderdale. Now, I had always been working with the Hard Rock Hotel Casino on other things, meaning boxing every now and then. Because the UFC, until they got so busy that I couldn't work with anybody else, they allowed me to work on other shows and other events. So I did stuff. I, I even did the Latin billboards mm-hmm. for, the, for the Hard Rock. So I had a relationship with them. And last year, being with Alliance MMA, we did a show March in, in, at the Hard Rock out in Fort Lauderdale. And this year, 
they came back and they said, well, listen, uh, we, we, we're not too sure about Alliance or what's going on. And we don't know whether you guys want to do another show or, you know, or, or, or are we penciling it in or whatever. So I asked them, I said, Is, you, you guys got a date? And they said, yeah, let's talk about it. So we talked about it and I said, well, if Alliance isn't doing a show, what are you going to do with that date? They were going to put it back in the pool. And my thing was, you know what? I'll take that date. Uh-huh. I'll take that date. And they didn't really ask me what I was going to do with it. I just said to them, you know what? I've been pulling this plow for 35 years, meaning coordinating and consulting and doing shows for everybody else. Right, making money for everyone else. And, 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 and knowing how to do it. And, and doing it at a level, whatever level was put in front of me, I did it. I said, you know what? The only thing I've never done in this, in this sport or in any sport is to put my name on it. And I wanted to do that. So when that date was available and they said, we'll give it to you, I took it. And once I took that date, Tommy, I sat back and I said, oh, hell. What now what I the fuck do? am I going to do? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell am I going to do? Well, it's like what's a field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. That's how it happened. That's all you need. You, needed, you just needed the venue. You needed the date. And now we got you know, To be successful in promoting, you need three things. One, you need a venue. Two, you need sponsors. And three, you need some kind of television or streaming production. Those three things you need to, to stay afloat and stay successful as a promoter in this industry. And I know that because I've seen them succeed and I've seen them fail. And I know how strong the UFC is and everybody under and after the UFC. I've seen what it took for them to sustain. And, and you know what? I, I just made the decision. You know what? I'm going to try it. Should I be 70 years old my birthday, bro? Uh, and, and, and you, you just know hit what? your prime. I, I've done most of it except that. And I wanted to see what it would be like to do it, to put my name on it. Not I mean, if I, not if I could do it. I, that wasn't even, well, I mean, you know, you've done it. You've done it for the UFC. Yeah, so. I've done it for everybody. Is, yeah. You know, I just said, you know what, but, but I'm going to tell you something. When you step your name on something, boy, there's a whole nother world that comes with that. Yep. A, <laughs> I know. It's a lot, I left the, I left a very high-paying job to go start a fantasy sports company three years ago. My whole family was ready to kill me. I worked on Wall Street. I, had, I was making well deep into the six figures for five, six, seven, what, ten years almost. And I walked away and said, fuck that. I want to do what I love. I want to work in sports. I want to talk shit on the radio. I want to be able to curse. I don't want to wear a suit. I don't want to answer to nobody. And it was scary because it's like, you know, once your name gets attached to it, it's it changes yeah. everything you yeah. want to control every little detail of the event because because your name stamped on in this event you got i mean i was shocked because i'm really good friends with mike constantino who's right. one, of, one of your partners in mma yes, he is. Yes, he is. <clears throat> great guy he's been in the fight game forever owns ama fight club he's got 15 years in this oh so yeah guys, with the miller brothers right so you guys both know each other for a while you yes. know work together on many different levels me you know, I just, I've been following MMA. I've been following UFC. I've been a huge fan of it all the way back in the day. But I've always wanted to get into the live event space. And I didn't know how I could get into it. And when Mike told me about your event, I was just like, this is the perfect. I mean, listen, I'm not qualified to 
line up fights. I'm not qualified to book a venue. I could bring some people to it. I could sell tickets. I could push it. Uh-huh. I, could, I could give you some money to sponsor it. Like, just get me in the door. So this is as exciting for me as it is for you to, to be a part of this maiden voyage. But tell me about this event that's coming up. So, I mean, because it was amazing to me how, like, three weeks prior to a month ago or whatever it was, it was like, oh, we have this thing that we're going to do. And then in, like, <laughs> two weeks, you had a full fight card. You had multiple sponsors. You had... 80% of the tickets sold on Ticketmaster. I was like, how the fuck did you do that in 14 days? I, I, I have, well, I'll tell you. Hold on, Bert. You just, you just went underwater there. I just, you just went a little low. Okay. There you go. Now you're back. Now you're back. Yeah. I'll tell you. I, I've, I've, I've been blessed with having good people around me and being good to people and getting that back and getting that back in return. I, I was, I've, I've totally been amazed by the reception I've gotten from the news media, from the MMA space, the MMA media, you know, the, the, the press they've given me about, you know, my going into or transitioning to promotions. But I'm telling you, man, it's, it's all I did. I went in and I pulled out my resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I knew this guy, Antonio Santiago, who is one hell of a matchmaker. And that's his area. So that's the first thing I did. I reached out for a good matchmaker because I know you need that. I know how important that is. So I reached out for him. I had the venue. I had the best venue in South Florida. One of the best venues in the world. It's real hard to get into the Hard Rock. Bro. The Hard Rock is, I mean, Jesus. And the Hard Rock Seminole is, is oh yeah, that's the yeah. one, you know? So, like. So I had, I had that set and I had a matchmaker. So then it was just a matter of now doing what you know you can do and doing what you do best. So he started putting these, getting the card together. And I'm telling you, man, we got, we got a hell of a card. You know, I mean, our, our main event is, is Jose Caceres, whose brother is Alex Caceres, uh, who is right now a veteran in the UFC. And no way Jose is his name. His claim to fame is that right now he's the only person that's ever beat Kamaru Usman, who is the present yeah. UFC welterweight champion. Usman's a beast, yeah. Only person that's ever beat him. So, you know, and he's fighting Mike Lilly, who's a great, great stand-up guy that, that, that's that got some, I mean, some awesome technical skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but again, I, I got I had good matchmaking. Yeah. And then what I did was I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down there. I'm going to fly to Florida. I'm going to go to the box office. I'm going to pull some tickets and I'm going to visit each and every fighter on that card and put tickets in their hands and let them know I'm excited to have them on my first show. And right. I did. And I yeah. did that. And, and man, to see that these guys were genuinely excited to be on my first show. Right. You know? I said, man, I'm, I'm loving it. And I appreciate it. But you got to go sell them damn tickets. <laughs> Get your ass to work. <laughs> but you got you to you, you help a brother out and sell them tickets, man, because now it's all about selling tickets. But I've had good people around me. You know, I've got great partners. You know, uh, Mike is one of my partners. I got another guy by the name of Joel Tracy. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Joel. Yeah. Uh, great, great guy. You know, John Price. Uh, so I've got good people around me and people that 
know what they're doing and are very good in their space. And that's the thing. That's like when I first got yeah. with you guys, that was the, that was the thing that was most impressive. Cause as someone who, you know, has started multiple startups, Everyone kind of works 47 jobs, you know, like I got yes. my hand in marketing yeah. and sales and content. And you guys kind of had your division set up right, right out the gate. It was like, if you want this, this is Bert. If you want this, this is Joel. So, I mean, that, and that yeah. just comes probably with you guys all, even though this is your well, first venture together. Right. You, got, you each got 15 years of doing this. You know what you're good at. You know what you're I've, I've learned that I'm, I am not going to do anything that I can't master. Right. Not this far along, not this, not this far along in my career and not as long as I've been doing this. And, you know, it's, 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 it's the first event with my name on it, but it's, you know, I've done, I've done 400 fights, baby, or better between boxing and MMA. And that's a, that's a, that's a lot of fighting, baby. Yeah, it is a lot of fighting. Okay? That's a lot of coordinating and putting together and, I've learned. I've learned the three things you need to be successful. I know how important it is to have good people around you and have those people around you trust that you know what you're doing and you're going to do it at a high level, mm-hmm. the highest level, you know, and, and, and that's, that's kind of where we are. And right now it's, you know, I'm still pushing out this marketing and advertising and, you know, I mean, the push I'm getting from you and your guys and doing this show, man, is unbelievable. Well, I mean, Again, it just—I'm just—I'm—I'm I'm, believe me, you know. We're shocked it. with it too, honestly. I mean, we we did a promotion, right? So, and this promotion still—we're—we just bought more tickets from you guys. <laughs> they, mm-hmm. We we basically did a promotion where we bought a bunch of tickets out front, and correct. Said if you go to uh, one of our sister websites, so I own a few different websites. One of them is EliteSportsBetting.com, and we okay. said if you go there and by our annual VIP betting subscription, which has been smashing, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to give you two free tickets to the MMA Live, June 15th at the Hard Rock in Hollywood, Florida. You come down, you party with us, you hang out. We're expecting to sell a few of them, right? Mm-hmm. We, like 50 in, in a couple days wow. like with no wow. time. We didn't even wow. know. It was Memorial Day weekend, so mm-hmm. no one's even looking at Twitter or anything. We just went and bought like 100 more tickets from Mike two days ago, and we're like, uh, fuck it, let's just keep running this thing. So, you know, we're right in the middle of Father's Day, right? Uh, there, no, Father's one Day. On, no one was on, and this and, is the perfect I, time. I, man. I just, I just, you know, it's it's actually, and you know, while I was in the process of putting this together and we were doing our marketing, you know, it just, I didn't have a name, and it was just. You know, this is MMA Live, period, yeah. period, and and that 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 stuck, and that's what it is, and that's what our name became for the event to market the event. And but, you could, and if, by the way, if you guys want to go, give them the give them the website. I know we have it on. Uh, we have a landing page on elitefantasy.com/slash/mma live. Uh, the team on both sides, our side and your side, Bert, put this landing page. They put this thing together in like a night. Oh yeah, and, and it looks great. We got the videos <laughs> up there. We got the Bert Watson videos. We got uh, promotions, free ticket giveaways. You name it, it's all there on Elite Fantasy. Yeah, <laughs> we rolling, baby. <laughs> Slash MMA Live, and then you could also go to uh, Bert Watson Promotions dot com and check it over there. So it's on multiple spots. Bert Watson Promotions dot com. Yep. You know, so. well, I got stuff, you know, with, with all of the, the ads and the video, mm-hmm. you know, on any one, any one of my Facebook pages, 
I got it on my Instagram mm -hmm. handle. I got it on my Twitter. Give I those handles out, by the way, Bert. So on, on Twitter, you're Bert Watson for real. Bert Watson for real. On right. Instagram, it's Bert Watson for real. It's Bert Watson, the number four real. Mm -hmm. For real, baby. Okay. <laughs> uh, on, on, on Facebook, it's Bert Watson. You just go to Bert Watson. Got to keep it, got to keep it clean. Yeah. yeah. Keep it what it is. It's right. all about Bert Watson. And that's what it is. And, and if you go to those and I, you know what, for me, initially I was like, eh, you know what, that's, that's a little too much Bert Watson. There's but it's all, it's all I know, man. It's There's never enough. No, it's, it's what has gotten me to where I am, you know, took me through the Marine Corps, mm -hmm. took me through the Viet Vietnam era, through Joe Frazier, Mike Tyson, Dana White. And now me. <laughs> <laughs> now, now it's time. I mean, this is this is just. I mean, I'm excited as hell because, I, I, like I said, I, I want to get involved in the party side of this. This is going to be an event. This isn't just fights, and I think that's what a lot of people need to understand. The fights are going to be amazing. You, you guys are going to be. We're going to have fighters on the podcast. Well, good fights. Right. The matchmaking on these fights has been insane. I've actually met a couple of these fighters uh, with Mike. We went out to dinner with a couple of the fighters on this card, and these okay. dudes are legit. Right. These aren't just, yeah, they are. yeah, you know, yeah. you have you have connections to the best mass matchmakers in all of Florida. There's going to be other events being done, possibly in Chicago and New York and Vegas. Who knows? But this yes. is just the first yes. of many. Yes. Yes. Now, but this is going to be an event. This is at the Hard Rock. So we're yes. going to be doing pre parties. We're going to be doing post parties. We're going to be, be doing giveaways. Uh, anyone who goes on to the landing page, whether you're getting uh, free tickets through the giveaway, whether you're buying them through Ticketmaster, VIP tickets, regular tickets. You're going to get to shake hands and meet and hang out with Burt Watson. Burt, I'm sure you're going to have fighters down there from all the fighters you know and celebrities. I'm sure there'll be people down there that they'll be able to schmooze with, take pictures with. So this yeah. is going to be a little little extravaganza, kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I've got a couple, a couple of people that have called me, you know, and I, I, answer, I answer my phone as much as I can. But then again, I know when to answer because I got to be prepared because I know what's on the other, other end of that. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you something, Tommy, what, what I said earlier is that, and you mentioned about the possibility of Chicago or, or Dallas or mm -hmm. just wherever, you know, my goal is to provide entertainment, provide entertainment and a platform for regional guys to showcase their talent, you know, and that's, that's very right. important for I mean any guy. Anybody in this sport or combat sports to get to what they consider to be the ultimate level. And see, before, I didn't know what it was to get to the ultimate level because I was already there. Right. When those guys got there, I really didn't 100% knew what it took for them to get there. But I knew how hard it was for them to get there because that's what I based what I did on. The fact that I wanted them to have a comfort level and to be comfortable at that level. But it was the highest level, man. The way I would look at it now, Bert, honestly, and I'm a big college sports guy, right? So Me too. The all right, so, so you get it. The reason people go, you know, to play at Alabama, the reason they go to play at LSU, the reason they go to play Yale at – Bulldogs, baby. Oh, yeah? I'm, 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 I'm a Wildcat, Villanova. Yeah. Well, so my we're, my we're, grandson graduated from Yale. So, and I'm very proud of that. So I'm a, I'm a Yale. You should, anyone who graduates from Yale, you should be proud of that for sure. Yeah, but the big yeah. thing is like Nick Saban, you know, John Calipari in basketball. The reason these people go, these young kids go 
to play under Calipari, even though they might not be the best recruit on the team, right? You got five-star athletes. There's 10 of them. You might not even start. Is because Calipari knows how to get you to the pros. He's got a proven history. He's coached in the pros. He's been there before. He knows how to get you there. Preach, brother. It's the same thing with MMA Live, right? Like, there's regional shows all over the place, right? Every Joe Schmo is throwing a regional show in Philly, in Chicago. But there's one Burt Watson. There's one man who actually spent a decade and a half in the UFC hanging out with McGregor, John Jones, Daniel Cormier, could pick up a phone and call Ronda Rousey. You know, Joe Rogan's tweeting about him. So your word, if you get a fighter at your show who stands out and flashes, one word from Burt Watson, you can get all the way up to a Dana White, a Joe Rogan, these guys who can actually make an impact. And I think for me, as far as being the title sponsor and wanting to go into a full-blown partnership with your company going forward, that's the thing that's exciting for me, that not only do you give these fighters an opportunity that they won't get, you crush somebody on a regional circuit in Charlotte, Carolina, no one's going to fucking know about oh, it. And you you know do what? it at MMA Live, and you got all of us, you're on a podcast, you got Burt Watson hey. making phone calls, and you could be sitting watching the next Khabib. For real. And, you know, it's, 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 it's so, you know, for me, it, it's, it's heart-filling to take these guys. Because you know what, baby? Sometimes when the lights go on, some people's lights go out. Right. It's yeah. all right for them to get dim, but they can't go out. And when you get to that next level, your lights cannot go out. And you know what? Guys don't know that necessarily, but you have to get the experience of being at that next level, of somebody that's going to coach you on how to get to that next level or give you what it is to be at that next level, to be standing in the locker room or on your way out and to just, I've had, I've had guys, man, I've looked in their faces, screen re-rolling and I could see it in their eyes. And I see the difference between the dressing room and standing in that hole, getting ready to walk to the cage, baby. I know, I, I know the feeling that they get. And I've seen that. And I've seen, I've seen what it can do to a guy. I had Uriah Favor once in a holding area. And now Uriah Favor, I think was 135 maybe, 145 pounds, you know. But, but you know what? He was an MMA guy. And I got him in that holding area, and I started yelling and screaming at him. And I started getting in his face when we rode him. And I'm looking at him about this is what we do and why we do it, baby. And nobody does it any better than we do. This is your night, your fight. You need to go get that shit right, baby. <laughs> I started rolling, and I throw my hands up for him to give me a high five, and he gave me one, yeah! <laughs> almost broke my body in half. <laughs> it went, when he hit my hand, Tommy, it went through my whole body down to my toes. You knew he was ready. <laughs> I, I, well, you know what? I knew I had just fired somebody up that damn near killed me. <laughs> right? Which I was never, ever going to fire another guy up and stay in front of him like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, the, like you let the bull out of the cage. You fire him up and then open the gate. Yeah. He, fired, he was fired up. He went, yeah, bam. You know, but I've had a few of those. You know, I've done that thing with, that thing with uh, Frankie Edgar and turned around and fired him up. And the next thing I know, he's gone, running me over. Right. <laughs> oh, Jose Aldo. Say, Gotta watch out for those Jersey boys. Well, you know, it, it's, it's, man, it's, it's a trip to see these guys get on site 
and get in the workout all week and get in the locker room, getting ready to take that walk. Nobody knows what that's like, baby. Yeah, and that's and the, the experience and everything that you bring. I mean, just Man. talking about some of these fighters, you know, that you've worked with. We got about fifteen minutes here before we got to shut it down, and I can go another fifteen hours. <laughs> so we might have to do round two of this when we get closer closer to the show. Oh man, I'd love that, baby. But I mean, some of these fighters that you've worked with. I mean, I just think about it from the outside. Like, you've worked intimately with the Diaz brothers. You've worked uh, intimately with McGregor, John Jones, some guys who've had, as we'd call in football, some off-the-field problems, right? Yes, who, who yes. If you're the Joe Rogan announced babysitter to the stars, those had to be some people who maybe were a little tougher to babysit than others, no? Well, well, you know, they weren't tougher. You just had to know how to deal with them, mm-hmm. how to deal with that. You know, I'm from Philly, man. I'm a hood rat with an education. Right. You know, so I knew what it was or what it's like to be out in the streets, from the streets, in the gym. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everybody, everybody works with you when you let them know that you respect them. Right. Everybody works for you when you let them know that you respect them. My, my I, old mentor had a line. He said, no one cares what you say until they know that you care. Oh man, I, I wish I'd said that. I damn sure be using it. I had, I had it, I had it. And the reason I know it, I had it pictured above my computer for ten years. You know, I, I, and, and I'll give you one. I always say, you never know how much you don't know until you need to know it. Yeah. <laughs> and and with these guys and seeing the athletes and working with these athletes and you know, I've never had a problem with anybody. Well, I had one problem in my entire career with mm-hmm. one guy. Uh, but for the most part, you know, whenever something came up and, and, and most of these guys, you know, during the course of the week, they had a lot of stuff that they needed to get done and a lot of stuff people were chasing them to do and a lot of stuff that they were scheduled. And you know what? Somebody would call me and say, Oh, Bert, we need your help. We got to get such and such. We got to get the Diaz brothers or we got to get John Jones or, or we can't find this guy or that guy. You know what? The first thing I say, you know what? That's not a marker. I want to call in, baby. <laughs> I said, I'll tell you what, I'll, 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 I'll put my eyes and my feelers out, but I'm going to tell you, if I start chasing them for you, then they'll start running from me faster than they run exactly. from you. They got to They got to respect. They got to look. I, I said, so you need to know that. And I'm not going to get off this phone and lie to you. <laughs> you think <laughs> I'm going to hang up and go chase them. I'm not. You don't want to ruin that relationship. Yeah. So I would hang up and I would call the Diaz brothers because we're talking about them. I would call Nick or Nate and say, hey, man, they're looking for you. And they would get quiet. And I'm just saying, uh, you know, I haven't looked at your schedule, so I don't know where you're supposed to be. But they called me and I ain't calling you. But I can tell you they're looking for you. And that was it. Giving them a heads up. Yeah. That was it. And I'd hang up. And you know what? Maybe about... Half an hour later, I get a phone call thanking me, and I don't even know what the hell they thanked right. me for. But you know, it's 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 I I it's like Conor McGregor, who has become you know the biggest name, yeah, by far. You know, in in, in the sport, and I never never had an issue with Conor. Never, never had a respect issue. Never had a problem with him showing up on time. Never had a problem with him talking back. Mm-hmm. You know, Ronda Rousey never had a problem with Ronda. 
Rhonda came in and everything was, yes, Mr. Burt. Yes, sir. Yes, Mr. Burt. And that went from Mr. Burt to Burt because we got closer. Yeah, you became friendly. But I never, never had a problem. When they came in, I checked my attitude at the dough first. Notice I said dough. I didn't say door. I checked <laughs> my attitude at the dough first. And then I took Burt Watson to them. Then they had to check their attitude. But never had a problem, man. Never had a problem. Uh-huh. I had one problem in my life, and that, that was with War Machine. I don't know if you know who that is. Okay. But that's, that's the only <laughs> problem I ever, and that wasn't a real problem. It just got a little verbal. And again, you know, I'm, I'm a hood rat with education. I'm from Philly. Uh-huh. You know, enough of the verbiage. Shit, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's let's not even let's not even waste that time. But then I had to think about it because that boy could fight. Well, War Machine seems like someone who would give uh, give a little bit of a problem. He's had a little bit of checkered yeah, checkered yeah, history, yeah, right? Yeah. But you know what? When they when also when guys get to that level, they also feel privileged, right? And they also feel that not only do they have to perform but they have to live that level yeah and you see see that in every every and and, and you don't have you don't have to live that level right you don't have to let that level live for you baby yeah that's how you You don't have to you don't have to live it and you know what i tell them guys that i said you know what you know i had a guy once we're sitting there we're doing a i had my pre-fight speech that i would do at the weigh-ins for everybody everybody right and this guy decides he's going to show up late. <laughs> <laughs> and he walks in the room, and I called him. I said, yo, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold up, baby. Hold up. I want you to come up here and stand next to me. And you know what he did? And I moved away a little bit. But I said, you know, I want you and everybody to know that nobody in this room it's bigger than this sport. Nobody in this room is bigger than anybody. Shit, ain't nobody in this room bigger than me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Realistically. Yeah. I said, I said, <laughs> and, and I'm just I'm just the person that's making it happen for you. I said, so you know what? You cannot disrespect yourself and everybody sitting in this room thinking that you can do what you want to do when you want to do it. You can't do that, son. Ever. Ever, ever. And you know what he did? He looked at me and looked at everybody and he apologized. And said, I'm sorry. I'm right? so sorry. Exactly. I'm it's, so sorry. I mean, it's the stories that you must you have been what? through that and you that can't was, even you can't even talk about ninety percent of the stories. You know what? I might get in trouble for this, but that was John Jones. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I wasn't gonna press you on it, Bert. We're but fine. that's okay. That's okay. Yeah, if you want but to. but uh, you know what? I just said I, I said, honestly you know, that that at I think that's a positive. Like when I hear that, I think more highly of him than maybe I did before. Right? That well, he took a man up and say, "All right, I fucked up." You know what he said? He said, "I'm sorry, Mr. Burton, and I apologize to everybody." And he did that. But I said, "Ain't nobody in this room bigger than this sport. Ain't nobody in this room bigger than anybody else in this room." Do you think the money's hurt? You, I mean, we only got about ten minutes left. But do you think the money's hurt the UFC a little bit because it's kind of it kind of seems to me, Bert, like it went from one extreme to the other, right? Where you go like 15 years ago when you were just getting started in the UFC. Right. And it was like the fighters were treated like cattle. 
right? Like they weren't making any money. They weren't respected. You said yourself, they were the least. It was a thousand, thousand. Right. So (laughs) it went from that to just over the course of like really McGregor, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's when it turned. It went from the course of them making nothing and having no control to now all of a sudden getting to what I believe hurt boxing a little bit, where they're kind of picking their fights, where they're changing weight classes because they want to be the champ champ and leaving the belt abandoned and all this shit to the point where now they almost have too much control again. And it's all about the money and their brands. Like where's the happy medium and, and which did you prefer? Like what, how did, how did they fix that? What do you think of the new MMA? Well, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's like your children, you know, which one of your kids you can leave home with matches and ones you don't. I was the one that you couldn't. Okay. Or the one who might talk the one into with the matches was striking the matches. I was that one too. (laughs) You got to know that, you know, and, and you got to respect. Now I'm going to tell you something. I have nothing against the money that they're making. Mm -hmm. No, they should make that money. If you can go get it, go get it. But you know, as far as, as, as the respect and the control level, you know, I, I I see a lot of it going in another in a direction that I probably would not have let it go. That I'll say I it probably- for you that this has started, whether you want to draw the correlation out there listening on the timeline or not, I'm just stating facts that, Bert, you left the UFC when? Three years ago? Uh, Feb- Febu- February 2015. 2015, four years ago? Yes, sir. This has all started over the last four years. Four years. I know yes, that sir. for a fact. Yes, so yes, whether you want to say, I'm not planting <laughs> here, but if you want to say it was a coincidence that it happened when Bert Watson stopped taking care of and stopped becoming a babysitter to the stars or not, it is a little coincidental that it started right when Bert Watson left the UFC. Well, when you leave your children alone in the house by themselves, they're going to burn it down. Right. And and I I I don't know exactly at what point did did the the control level kind of either go back to the fighters or or it's just you know I had such control right that that and respect that's the thing respect. control comes yes. with respect that's yes. they, yes. they they didn't yes. look at you. Yes. as a disciplinarian they looked at you as your friend you know when you let your friend down you feel bad when yeah. you let your boss oh, down oh, yeah. fuck him oh, yeah. you know it was oh, like yeah. letting a friend down yeah yeah i was stopped i was stopped in the heartbeat said, no 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 yeah it don't work like that son everybody was son everybody was son or baby i'm pretty yeah. sure if, if burt watson was there mcgregor never puts a chair through that bus well you know what I, i'll tell you something man i i i was astonished and amazed at the the level of disrespect because that's that's what that is to me when you start getting to a point where where the people around you can't control what you do in terms of your personal behavior during the during event week and during an event you know there's a there's a a behavior and there's a, there's a control level that you got to maintain Yep. And everybody knows that. Come on. It's like your training. You know, when you when you start your training for a fight, you go hard. The closer you get to a fight, you pull it off. Yep. You take it back. You cut it back because you know that's the right thing to do. Right. Disrespecting yourself and the other fighters is not the right thing to do. Plain and simple. And On any level. We've you, seen it, we're seeing it in all sports. Yeah, yeah. And it's just... It's, because you, you almost forget, you're disrespecting the fans. 
you disrespect you know it's more than just the the other fighters around you too like people who paid to see those fights people who who worship you like people who's naming their kids after you and stuff like that yeah yeah you you see it with antonio brown in football you see it with mcgregor and and mcgregor is my favorite fighter yeah but but a lot of the stuff he's done like even me as like a hardcore fan was like ah you know like come on man you know like and i'm the first one to give him a pass and and it sucks to see you just kind of hope that you know you hope it can sort itself out somehow but well you know what if you got your eyes open and you're looking you see that stuff coming yeah i'll tell you that baby if you got your eyes on your kids and your eyes are open you see that stuff coming and you pull them aside and pull them in the corner and say, look, I'm going to tell you right now, I see where you're going with this and that ain't happening. You ain't going there. I'm not going to let you get to a point where you're going to disrespect yourself or kill your own career. Right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you do that. So we go and we talk about it, you know, and, and we've, I've, I've had times where I've sat one-on-one, you know, everybody knows I'm not, I'm not a nine to fiver, but I am a five to nine, baby. <laughs> I'm up at five in the morning. And if you want to call me at three thirty or quarter to four, I'll answer. Right. And I'll talk to you. You know, I've talked guys. I talked to guy once out of getting on a plane and going back to London because he missed his girlfriend. Damn. But he called me first. And I went downstairs. And that's, I all, that's all you need. Yeah, you just need someone. Sometimes hey, they just need man. just need someone who will fucking listen, who doesn't treat them as a hey. as a as a trophy or as you know something to or, or as if they are they they are the least important. Yeah, just treat them as part a of that event. And right. you know what? And and you know the promotions they do their job because now fighters and athletes have become commodities. Uh huh. You know, they've always been, but you know, no, now they're they're a bigger piece of the puzzle and they, they get to you know, they get to call their shots and do and I can say I can tell you something, that's a trend that's never gonna go back. Yep. Yeah, no, you can't turn back from that. Uh, you can't turn back from it. It's unfortunate. It's no, it's, you know, too, it's it's too far gone now. You now you got happens. now you gotta figure out how to uneff it, okay? What happens is new fight leagues, right? Like new you know, there needs to be something new that comes up that starts it in doesn't let it happen, but I mean, it can't turn back in the current environment. We haven't ever seen no. it turn back in any no. sport ever. It's no. happened in UFC, but I know with MMA Live and with with Burt Watson Promotions and what you guys are doing there, you got a fresh yeah. start. So well, we can do it the yeah. right way from the beginning. Yeah. yeah, and like I said, if you know you got to keep your eyes open and keep your eyes on your children, then you can see that coming. And you know, it, it's there are certain things you can't avoid. And certain things are going to happen, but I respect these guys and I give them the respect that I know they need, you know, which once you give that out, all you can do is sit and, and, and hope that it comes back to you the same way. And that's for worth more part, than money. That's worth hey, more than money. Most of for the time. most part, it comes back. Right. So, yep. well, Bert, I got, we're going to have to do, we're going to have to do a part two because I got, oh, I wrote down a fucking list of questions Okay. that, that okay. we didn't, even, I mean, it's probably because it took us two and a half hours to get the technology set up and we both, you got meetings, yeah. I got, I got videos to do, and stuff. <laughs> but I want to do a part two of this for sure, where we get, okay. I want to know a little more about the Joe Frazier drama. I want to know more okay. about these individual fighters. I want to get to all that, but to wrap this up, tell everyone where to go to find tickets for the event. When the event is, give me one more sales pitch on MMA live coming up June 15th. 
Hey, baby, on Saturday, June 15th at the Hard Rock Event Center, Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, baby. It's MMA Live, all the way live. Nothing but professional MMA, baby. And you can get your tickets from your fighters because they got them out there. Or you can go to BurtWatsonPromotions.com or Ticketmaster or the Hard Rock Event Center. Live, baby. MMA live all night long. <laughs> I love it, Bert. I love it. I love it. Get to Bert. That'll Watson. be there, baby. Because <laughs> we what? Because we rolling! Yeah! All <laughs> night long. Oh, I love it. You can also check out. Check out BurtWatsonPromotions.com for tickets. Ticketmaster.com for tickets. Uh, follow Burt Watson on Twitter at Burt Watson for real on Twitter. Go to elitefantasy.com slash MMA live. We got the videos. We got tickets over there. There's tickets falling out of the fucking sky. If you want to get tickets, go follow me on Twitter at Tommy G. Anywhere you go, we'll get you tickets. We will but find you, tickets for you and get you, you know there. We're going to be partying. If you cross over a ticket, you better pick it up because I want you to be there, baby. That's true. It's going to be fun, man. You're not going to regret it. You're not going to miss it. Yes, yes, sir. Bert. I love you, brother. We're going to do this again. I will be talking to you later this week, but thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate you. And, uh, and how's that snowball doing? Is it still outside? Is it? Uh, you know what? I think the pigeons might have got to it by now. <laughs> <laughs> this is a little no. Never, never buy something for Burt Watson because he might end up throwing it out a fucking window. <laughs> Only if it doesn't work. <laughs> All, All right, right, Tommy. All I right, brother. Peace. Peace. For Burt Watson, I'm Tommy G. Good luck. Stay cashing, motherfuckers. Yeah, babe. Woo! Mercy is for the weak. We do not train to be merciful here. A man face you, he is enemy. Enemy deserve no mercy. <laughs> <laughs>